Hi, I'm Jake Miller, host of the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Be sure to check out all of our other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Alyssa Gallagher, co-author of the popular book, Design Thinking for School Leaders, Five Roles and Mindsets that Ignite Positive Change. Having worked in a variety of roles from school principal to assistant superintendent, Alyssa Gallagher understands firsthand the complexity of educational leadership and is passionate about improving the learning experiences created in our schools. She is constantly exploring the what if with school leaders and works to support radical change in education. She has been successful in leading district-wide blended learning initiatives. She has helped schools create integrative STEM programs and she has helped launch strategic plans using the design thinking model during her long career in the state of California. I'm a big fan of this book and the design thinking concept, and I certainly hope you enjoy this conversation with Alyssa Gallagher. But before we break into this new episode, I wanna take this opportunity to give a big Reimagined School shout out to some amazing educators in the Hamilton Southeastern School District in Fishers, Indiana. And these folks are currently using the Reimagined Schools podcast as part of a regular podcast study to share ideas and to create a call to action to create better schools for kids. This innovative group, led by John Hostetler, a teacher librarian at Sand Creek Intermediate School, is absolutely on fire, folks, as they are using Zoom video to collaborate with educators across their school district and beyond to tackle some pretty big issues within our schools. So if you'd like to start your own podcast study, you can connect with me on Twitter, at Dr. Greg Goins, or better yet, connect with John Hostetler at HSE Library Dude, and I'm sure John will be thrilled to talk with you and help you lead your own podcast study in your school district. And if you do uh, decide to use the podcast study format, you can always use the Reimagined Schools hashtag, or you can use the podcast study hashtag that we just recently launched. So with that, it's time to talk design thinking with Alyssa Gallagher, and I hope you enjoy it. The Reimagined Schools podcast begins right now. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm very excited to have a wonderful guest with us today who's an expert in design thinking, and this is an area that I have great interest and hope to pick her brain a little bit and find out all about design thinking for school leaders as we welcome in Alyssa Gallagher. How are you, Alyssa? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you are in California. So how the West Coast, uh, how are things? What kind of school year are we having out on the West Coast? And maybe talk a little bit about what your background is in working with schools. Okay, sounds good. We're having a great year. 
um, on the West Coast. Um, I, am I am based outside of Los Angeles in the Santa Monica area. Um, but for most of my career, well, actually, you know what, all of my career, I've spent in California, sort of up and down the coast. Um, I had a pretty traditional career, public educator career. I started off as a classroom teacher, taught for several years, um, and then I was an assistant principal. I was a principal. I was a director of innovation, and I was an assistant superintendent of schools. Um, the last school district that I worked with was Los Altos School District, which is up in the Bay Area. Um, spent several, I was with that school district for close to nine years, and that's where I would say working in that area really led me to the work that I'm doing now with design thinking in schools. Um, being located there in Silicon Valley, you know, we were right next to the D school that was fortunate and in our favor, um, and had the opportunity to do a lot of collaborating with the D school around what does that really look like to use design thinking in schools, and um, more importantly, what's that intersection of design thinking and leadership? The name of the book is Design Thinking for School Leaders, Five Roles and Mindsets that Ignite Positive Change, and your co-author is Cami Thorderson. And I know a little bit about the background, but if you could just talk a little bit about that aha moment around 2010 in which you were at the Stanford Design School, and you were actually able to see design thinking in action for the first time. Can you kind of tell us your general thoughts, and what was it that really inspired you to take this to the next level? Yeah, you know, when I think back to that, Cammie and I, so Cammie Thordarson is currently still working up in the Bay Area. She's the director um, of technology for Campbell Union School District, um, and she's had a fascinating experience because she's actually built, um, her district has built a school from the ground up using design thinking. So it's exciting to see all of the different, you know, ways that it can take hold. But back in 2010, Cammie and I attended, and we had a few other colleagues, we attended a design thinking boot camp at the D School, um, spent a couple days there really diving into the process and understanding, you know, how is it that you tackle these wicked problems using different mindsets and sort of approaching it from a different perspective. Um, the real big aha moment for me was the focus on empathy and the focus on empathy for the end user. And it just struck me like a lightning bolt of, how simple that idea was, and yet how it was really counterintuitive to some of the work that we, we do in schools. You know, that a lot of times I find we use the catchphrase, like, do, let's do what's best for students, or, you know, keeping students in the center. But oftentimes, when we're, if we really look at it, we often have the convenience of adults um, in front of that. You know, so it really, for me, it shifted everything and it just seemed like the right way to continue any work moving forward in education. And you know, when I think of the term uh, design thinking and just the term designer, I automatically think about um, fashion design, interior design, people that are highly creative, trying to do something maybe a little different. Um, and I was talking to some colleagues the other day, I was telling them I'm going to have you on the podcast. And uh, one of them said, well, design thinking is a buzzword. Uh, it's just another one of those terms we're throwing around and maybe we don't know what they mean. Uh, I told them that I, I really felt like it was more of a mindset. And I know you're real big on the what if. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You're not alone, Greg, when you said that, you know, when you think of a designer, you kind of conjure up this image of these like really creative people. Maybe they dress in all black and they're working in fashion or, but the reality, if you stop and think about it, we are all designers, whether we call ourselves a designer or not, you know, it's just that we may be 
we're not intentional about designing, but as a teacher, as a leader, we're designing experiences constantly. We're designing experiences for our kids. We're designing experiences, you know, for our faculty and our staff. Almost everything we do is an act of design. Um, and as designers, you know, I would disagree. I don't believe that it's a buzzword. I actually do believe that there are mindsets that are critical to the work that we do. And, and as I'm um, in education, we would be well served to adopt some of these mindsets of a designer. One of the most important mindsets of a designer kind of falls into that question you were asking me about the what if. And I love those are my probably my favorite two words um, strung together because they're so powerful. But designers embrace this yes and mentality um, where they're constantly building on what they have. So taking whatever is given to them, whatever constraints, and we have a lot of constraints in education, and really building from those. Taking that a step further, um, what if it takes us into a place where we're able to dream bigger than we have dreamt? Um, and sadly, you know, given all of our constraints in education, it's a space that I just don't feel we spend enough time. It's really fascinating to me now in the work I do when I work with principals or superintendents. Um, and I'll often pose the question, you know, what would you do if you could do anything in your school or district with no constraints? What a difficult question that is for leaders to answer. And it's a little frightening because if we don't know what we would do without constraints, then no wonder we're struggling to design within our constraints. You know, so playing with what if really gets us to that place of expansive thinking um, and gets us to that place of, you know, being creative and having a big, bold vision. It's always easier to scale back an idea than it is to make it more expansive. So it, it's really fun to, to think about, you know, what are our big audacious goals? Yeah, and I love that thought, and I've used that myself on several occasions. Uh, talk to other colleagues and aspiring principals and just ask them the question, if you could start from scratch and create your own school, what would it look like? What would you get rid of? What would you keep? What would you want to incorporate? And it, it's one of those fun questions you get to play around with a little bit. And, and you know, the answers are also fun, too, because you're able to kind of be that creator and think in an innovative way that maybe you're not restricted by state mandates or federal mandates or whatever the case may be. But the thing I really, first of all, this is a fantastic book, and it's so easy to read. Uh, chapter one is entitled Design Inspired Leadership. And I read that first chapter, Alyssa, and I was hooked. I mean, it was, it's very well written. But you talk specifically about the fact that we live in a VUCA world. And that's an acronym for volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so when we, when Cami and I were researching this book, you know, one of the things that struck us, and we started researching this book, you know, we were both still working and living in Silicon Valley, and so we were surrounded, it was in our face all of the time of just how quickly um, the world has changed, and almost every industry has been, you know, disrupted in some way. We often talk about preparing our students for, you know, an uncertain future and a world that's not going to look like it looks now. Well, the reality is, it's already changed. It's already different. And yet, by and large, most of our schools haven't had that sense of disruption. You know, we still operate um, within the constraints and the confines, and most of our schools look very similar to how they looked 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and so, 
we think that it's really important for educators to have greater awareness about the disruption that's happening in other industries um, so that we can we can think about that and bring that into our work. You know, one of the things that Cami and I did when we were working together, she was an instructional coach uh, when I was working as assistant superintendent, and I really leaned on her to help me design experiences for teachers that would sort of shake them out of their comfort zone. And one of the first things we did is we created field trips, you know, learning trips for our teachers. Because we, you know, how do we expect our teachers to know what the, the world of work is like if they're spending their work days in schools? So we started taking our teachers into, you know, a video game production studio. We started taking our teachers into a WeWork setting to see the reality of what is the workforce? We talk about it being different, but what does it really look like? Um, and so, you know, again, providing those experiences and opportunities to experience something different than what we currently know. And, you know, I love talking about the disruption piece because there are so many things happening right in front of our eyes. Uh, technology has changed the world we live in. And you actually pulled a piece from um, the TechCrunch website. And I'm just going to read these off real quick about disruption uh, in your book. The world's biggest taxi company does not own any taxis. That would be Uber. Uh, one of the largest ac uh, accommodation providers owns no real estate. That would be Airbnb. What has become one of the most popular media sites create, creates no content. That would be Facebook. And then, of course, Netflix is the world's largest movie provider, and they own no cinemas. So who would have thought, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I went, went to high school in the early 1980s before the Internet. That's how old I am. So I, we, I could have never imagined what uh, things would look like in 2019. And I think about our kids today in school. Uh, if, they, if they have that same experience, you know, 20 years from now, what's the world going to look like? And then what specific skills do we need to be teaching them as they prepare for an uncertain future? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I think that sometimes we forget that kids' lives outside of school looks very different than their day inside of school. And I have two boys, um, ages eight and nine, and, you know, they're they're very um, technologically literate. If they want to learn something, they can learn it anytime, anywhere. You know, my eight-year-old is very focused right now on learning the Rubik's Cube. Guess what? He gets on YouTube, he downloads those videos, and he teaches himself. That's not quite what it looks like for him in the school day. So there is this disconnect as well for our kids that, you know, a lot of times our kids are being asked to power down or put away your phone or turn off your device, but yet that's a very real part of their world outside of school. And that's something that we haven't encountered before either, where the school, the actual school day looks so much different than their real life. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, the book's been out, I think, less than a year now, may have came out in May or June of 2018. What kind of reception have you received uh, on the book? And I know you do a lot of speaking and work with, with school districts. What are some of their big questions? My guess would be it's, you know, show me how to do this. Everyone wants a... A, B, and C, or a one, two, three, how you create design thinking, but my guess is it probably doesn't work that way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. So since it's been not, it's just under a year since the book came out, we've worked with a lot of educators. Um, the biggest hurdle that comes up more than anything else is fear. 
And that has actually been a little bit of a surprise, I think, to myself and to Cami. Um, but we heard it loud and clear, you know, a couple months ago, I was in Nashville working with about 300 educators, and that was the number one concern was fear. Fear of what will my school board think if I start making these changes? What will my superintendent think? What will the community think? You know, so now we're doing some work around, well, how do you really conquer that fear? Uh, making sure that you make small bets and that you just iterate along the way. Um, and then the other question that we're getting a lot is, um, this is amazing. We love these mindsets we want to adopt. Where are the practical tools for me to do that? You know, and so i um, excited to share. Cammie and I are working on a follow-up book that, uh, with ASCD that will be much more of a, a playbook of here's everything you need in terms of, you know, the templates and the tools to kind of walk you through a process. It's a little tricky because design thinking, while there are five phases, it's not an exact linear process. And yet there is, there are some steps that you can follow. So I equated a little bit like having a recipe in a, you know, in a kitchen that when you first start cooking, there certainly is comfort in the recipe, sort of like, you know, it's design thinking, we can provide that comfort with some tools, but the more experienced you get, you know, a chef isn't going to rely on it. They're going to improvise a little more. And that becomes true as a design thinker as well. My guest today is Alyssa Gallagher, and she's the author, co-author of Design Thinking for School Leaders. You can follow her on Twitter at am underscore Gallagher. You also want to check out the website in progress slash consulting.com so you can learn more about design thinking there. Maybe jump into one of the workshops that they offer. Uh, you want to get this book, folks. It's fantastic as I uh, continue to think about how we can rethink or reimagine, if you will, how to create better schools for kids. But as you talk about this theory of change, I love the fact that you talk about two specific things that I got from the book. You talk about one, being an opportunity seeker, and number two, being a rule breaker, and how dare you give anyone permission to be a rule breaker in education because it's all about the status quo, right? Right. You know, it's interesting that those out of our five roles, that those two spoke to you because I think that those speak to a lot of educators. Um, the first role, Opportunity Seeker, um, really is just about being aware, you know, sort of having that mindset. We, we talk a lot about having a child's mindset and just noticing, you know, what happens as we become more experienced in education, the longer we spend um, in the school setting, the more things just seem normal to us. And so we share a lot of ways where you can sort of get outside of that. Um, you know, you can adopt the beginner's mindset and act like a traveler, you know, act like you just dropped into your school from a foreign planet or from a foreign country and really question, you know, we, we, we get so used to what's around us, we don't even notice anymore. And so a lot of times it starts, the design process really starts with noticing. Uh, one of the things where I like to encourage people um, to start is to keep what I like to call a bug list. And David Kelly talks about this in his book, Creative Confidence, of just identifying what are the things that bug you? I actually have my kids do this. You know, if something bugs you, then there is a design opportunity hidden in there because if it bugs you, it probably bugs other people and you can turn that into an opportunity, kind of reframe that as an opportunity to design. Um, so a lot of times it's just finding those opportunities. And then rule breaker, um, I like to say that, you know, if I think back to my career um, as an educator, I, I was a rule breaker, but I tried to give people thoughtful headaches. You know, I didn't just break rules 
for the sake of breaking rules, but I really tried to embrace the spirit of questioning, you know, questioning why are we doing the things we do? And sometimes it's easiest to start with the low hanging fruit. You know, why do we ring bells in schools? Why do we require school students to line up in a single file line? Why are spelling tests on Fridays? I mean, you can get to a place where you just start to question. Um, and we suggest a three-step process for, you know, question the rule, ask why it exists, and then, you know, modify the rule. Figure out why it was there in the first place. If it's getting in the way of learning, then go ahead and modify it. There's a school in Poway District that has done a really fabulous job of breaking the rules. It is a public school, and I love this as an example because it operates within all of the constraints that we have. The school is Design 39, and we wrote about it in our book, but I encourage you go check out their website because they have done a fabulous job of questioning everything that we do in schools. You know, they're a K-8 school. Um, they even question, do teachers need their own classrooms? You know, so it's a really fascinating example of just questioning uh, and being open to what you figure out as you question. Uh, it is a very intriguing conversation because uh, as we both know, uh, a lot of new teachers, first year teachers, beginning teachers will conform to the culture of the building they're in. And we all know that, I mean, we have great teachers out there doing some amazing things, but we also have some schools that are really, in my opinion, being left behind because they're afraid to change. And it's really this huge fear factor of, you know, what is, what are they going to say if I have this crazy idea or that crazy idea? So uh, to be an outlier in your own school and, and to get out of your comfort zone is something that we really need an education. And I don't know what, what push we're going to have to provide to make that happen. But I think something like your book, Design Thinking, is certainly a step in the right direction. Well, thank you, Greg. And you know, it's interesting, not only do we become accustomed to who we're working with or the schools in which we're teaching or leading, but if you think about it, our profession is probably the only profession where our internship really started at the age of five or six. And so a lot of these practices and beliefs are just so ingrained in us that we have to overcome, you know, sort of that inertia and that tradition to make those changes. Uh, but I do believe it's possible. I see incredible teachers daily, you know, kind of going against the grain and pushing and changing and making it what's right for kids. And I believe as leaders, principals and superintendents, it's our job to create those conditions to empower teachers to be able to do that. And I also visited your website uh, several times before you came on today. And uh, again, it's a great website if you go to inprogress-consulting.com. And you have a section there called Theory of Change. And a lot of people still have such a difficult time understanding the change process that it becomes this thing where um, it's almost paralysis by analysis. We don't want to deal with it because it's too overwhelming. But can you kind of walk us through... Um, you know, the change process and how you can maybe take that first little step on the road to uh, creating better schools for kids. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for checking out the website. An easier way to get there, probably too, you can get there by just typing in leadlikeadesigner.com and that'll take you right there. Um, so in, in change theory, you know, there's a lot of work around change theory. And the way that I would boil it down in the simplest form is that what I see too often, I see well-intentioned leaders pushing forward initiatives that just enter the change process at the wrong 
strong point. You know, so we know we want better experiences for kids, we need better results. We often start with a behavioral change, whether that be an implementation of a new program. And it can be an implementation of any new program, whether it's problem, you know, project-based learning or an iPad initiative or any new change, we start there. We start with implementation where we want to see a behavioral change in the classroom, um, but that's actually entering the change process at the wrong point. And so what we recommend is that you back it way up and you enter the change process at that mindset piece, that we make sure that we spend time um, in the you know, changing mindsets. And the, it's, a, it's hard because there's no one way to do that. Um, I do believe that it starts with conversation and grounding people in the why are we doing this work in the first place and then constant inspiration and constant conversations. I think of it a lot like um, medication that we may not know what the right dosage is and every person is going to need a different dosage. And so as we're working to change and to provide inspiration of what's possible, um, we just have to keep putting it out there. I also think it's really important for us right now to shine the spotlight on teachers and principals and superintendents who are further ahead, not so that we can compare ourselves to them, but so that we can shine a spotlight and start to create a picture of what is possible. That it's not asking you to do the impossible, but that it is possible, you know, to change a very bureaucratic system um, that needs to be changed for our kids. But I think it has to always go back to that why. We can't start with an implementation of a program. And, you know, there are a lot of opportunities uh, right in front of our eyes that maybe we don't see or maybe we don't recognize. And I, I was watching the, uh, the TEDx speech you gave um, at a conference a couple years ago, and one of the slides you used uh, really made me laugh out loud because it was uh, of a guy on a boat out whale watching, and he was looking at his phone, and then lo and behold, the whale pops out of the water, and he never sees it because he's too busy staring at the screen. And I think a lot of times in education, we're in that same situation or same, same boat, pun intended, because, uh, you know, we have so many opportunities if we would just take advantage of them, but we're not paying attention or we're not present in, in what's happening. So I, I thought that was a great uh, way to kind of get that message across. Yeah, and you're right. We're surrounded constantly. You know, part of the biggest, the biggest source of inspiration, I think, we all have hundreds of them if we work in a school, it's our students. And a lot of times, um, I think our students in their own way, mostly a respectful way, do share and provide some insights. But I wonder, are we too busy to even hear them? You know, and so that's why with design thinking, we always say we start with that empathy place. We start with empathy for whoever you're designing for. And if we're designing for our students, then we really need to understand their experience. Um, and that doesn't mean reflecting back to, oh, well, I was a student, so I know what it means to be a student. But to really shadow our students, I would say that is probably the number one thing when we work with design teams and we pull together teachers to work together. Actually shadowing students um, provides the greatest amount of insight. You know, I don't know, Greg, if you've shadowed a student, but when I think back to the first time I shadowed a student, I shadowed a seventh grade student in a fairly traditional junior high school with a seven period day. And by about period three, I wasn't sure that I could stick it out for the whole day. You know, there was so much repetition, there was so much um, sort of talking down to me and telling me to look at my syllabus or whatnot that I just, it was like, I wanted to scream it as an adult. And I was also struck by, wow, and yet our kids do this every day. So there's a lot of, you know, you struggle to find opportunities, 
carve out some time and really shadow a student. I think you'll get a lot of insights there. You were talking about a, uh, a sequel to the book. Uh, when do you think it'll be out? Do you have any thoughts on a title? Uh, you talked about a playbook. Can you maybe tease us a little bit and, and give us an idea of what we might see in that book? Yeah, so title, you know, it's, in, it's writing is such an interesting, fun process, iterative process. Um, what I can share, our, our manuscript is due in May. So usually production times, that could be anywhere from who knows, nine months to a year after that. So we're probably looking at um, very late 2019, early 2020 for the book to be out. The intent title um, will be a conversation and negotiation with our publisher. So we don't have a title in our head. Our working title beyond book number two um, is, you know, that it's the idea is that will it will be some sort of field guide or playbook, not something that you just pick up and read, but something that you know, has some inspiration and you sort of want to scribble right in and work through a wicked problem using the tools and templates in the book. You think we'll ever get to the point where schools will be designated as design thinking schools or is there a huge design thinking conference out there right now that that people can can get some information on or is that something that that maybe you're going to start one day? I would love to start one one day. Um, I, there's not, you know, it's interesting. I, there's schools that are certainly popping up with design thinking as sort of a foundation. Um, I mentioned Design 39. I mentioned Campbell School District. Those are two if you want to look at public schools. Uh, there's a great independent school in, just outside of Atlanta. Uh, Mount Vernon Presbyterian School has done a fabulous job with, um, you know, utilizing design thinking. And there are some really cool learning opportunities. If you want to dig in more into sort of a conference setting, um, a couple of thoughts come to mind. Some of the bigger conferences, educational conferences like ASCD, you're starting to see some design thinking sessions pop up. I will be there in Chicago this year presenting three or four sessions. Um, but then there's also some other conferences that have more of the design slant to them. South by Southwest, EDU, uh, that's a great one in Austin every year in March that, that good design has some good design thinking strands in it. Another one that I will be at in Atlanta in June is Fuse. Um, Fuse is a three-day experience, very different than other conferences that you've attended. So those are some that I would definitely put on your radar to check out. Well, I certainly want to thank you for the time. I think this is a great book, folks. Jump out and get this book, Design Thinking for School Leaders, Five Roles and Mindsets that Ignite Positive Change. Uh, you'll be glad you did. It's, it's a great read and it's a great resource for a school leadership team or teachers that are looking to uh, think outside the box a little bit and do something different in the classroom. Alyssa, I want to give you a closing thought. We have a lot of principals, superintendents, teachers that listen to the podcast. As you speak to them over the next uh, minute or so, how can you uh, motivate them to think a little bit more about the design thinking concept? That's a, that's a big, that's a big question, Greg, but I would say. <laughs> What's the elevator so speech for design thinking? There's so much there. You know, I think um, design thinking, I, I encourage you to spend some time learning and reading about it because it is a very intuitive process. 
that you can apply to any problem that you're trying to navigate, whether it's a professional problem, a personal problem, um, but it's just so intuitive to sort of flip things around. It helps you reframe, helps you think bigger than you've ever thought, uh, and it will help you embrace new mindsets as a leader. So whether or not you choose to go in the direction of a design thinking school or district, design thinking is a problem-solving process that can really help you reimagine Imagine what's possible for kids and that's that's really what it's all about right is redesigning reimagining so that we can provide the very best learning experiences for our students well again wonderful conversation thanks for your time have a great uh, end of winter and early spring uh, on the coast there in California I'm jealous about the weather but uh, I hope everything goes well for you as you continue to lead the charge for design thinking and a big shout out to all of our listeners out there listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast. Thanks for all you do in schools. And remember, folks, always do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins.